On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Dr. Amelia Kelly about highly sensitive people and their susceptibility to abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Dr. Amelia Kelly. How are you? I am great. (laughs) I'm energized. (laughs) Well, thank you for being here. And today we're going to be talking about highly sensitive people Uh, the susceptibility of people who are HSP to uh, get into abusive relationships and toxic relationships. But before we get into that, for people that want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page. There's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, you read all of these instructions. Please read them all, then send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out the guest form page, press that submit button, and we will go from there. So to reach Dr. Kelly, you can go to ameliakelly.com, and that is spelled A-M-E-L-I-A-K-E-L-L-E-Y.com. That will be in the show notes. And for those of you that don't remember, she has a doctorate of philosophy in psychology from Capella University, along with a master's in art therapy and counseling from Nazareth College of Rochester. She is a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and she is a highly, you are trained as being a highly sensitive person's therapist. So people are sitting there thinking to themselves, what is a highly sensitive person? And for those that don't know it, 15 to 20% of people in society are highly sensitive people. So explain to us first, like what are, what's a highly sensitive person and what I guess are the character traits or the things that qualify someone as being highly sensitive? So high sensitivity to start is a state trait, meaning that this is a quality that can be genetic and is ingrained within the way that your brain interacts with the world around you and the nervous system interacts with the world around you. So I start with that to say what it's not is it's not being emotional. It doesn't mean someone's more emotional than another. I think that's a common misconception about high sensitivity. Highly sensitive people and Interestingly, this trait was discovered in animals far before it was discovered in humans. So for decades, this has been explored. And what they find is that the nervous system is much more reactive and inquisitive and sensitive to the environment when you're a highly sensitive person. So some of the qualities could be that um, you are deeply empathic, maybe more so than the average person. Um, you're much more attuned to micro expressions, uh, just the little nuances of how a person may feel. You might be more sensitive to your environment. You know, you're, you're going to be the one who walks in the room and gauges whether it's too hot, too cold, are people going to be uncomfortable. Uh, This can carry over even into how your body interacts with what you put into it. So medications, um, hunger, 
and different things that you do to the body can be more reactive for someone who's highly sensitive. So drugs and alcohol can impact someone differently. Um, caffeine can be a much bigger um, stimulant for someone who's highly sensitive. This also carries over into the depth of processing. This is a, an important thing that Dr. Elaine Aaron and her researchers uh, examine, and it's to what degree a person reads into a situation. And this can carry over even into the way that your eyes register the world around you. So studies have shown that highly sensitive people perform remarkably better than the average person on things like hidden pictures, everyone here has probably done Where's Waldo, uh, those types of things. Highly sensitive people, the way that their eyes read the environment is in much greater detail. However, and we'll talk about this in this episode, I'm sure, all of these amazing qualities of being highly sensitive and almost gifts or superpowers can be incredibly draining to the system when they're not used in a measured way and when the highly sensitive person doesn't take the necessary time to cope and decompress. So as we talk today, I'm sure many more of the traits will come out because it really impacts your whole life. So before we started this episode, you told me to go uh, check out a test to take. So I took that test. And I am a highly sensitive person. Oh, what did you score? I scored a 14 and I felt I was being conservative in my answering. It's interesting you say that as a male um, because there have been studies shown that men, just because of maybe cultural expectations or just ideas about how you interact with the world, can impact at a curve of about three. So you may actually have been more likely to be, say, a 17. Yeah, it's the ones that were the most uh, or the biggest issues for me mm-hmm. are sound, mm. uh, smells, mm-hmm. uh, things along those lines were like I, you know, sirens. Um, even this morning, uh, this morning has been quite a day. I'm jet lagged. And I'm coming off of being sick, so I was just tired in general. So my, I thought it was going to be a good idea this morning to uh, go to the coffee shop, sit down, say hi to the people I hadn't seen in a while, and have my coffee. The first thing it did was make me, because ex- coffee and me are hit and miss. Sometimes it works, and then sometimes I get anxiety through the roof. And this morning was anxiety through the roof. And I'm already an anxiety person. So then the noise began where the music was a tad too loud. Then this guy came in. I'm not going to name his name. And his voice is one of those voices where you can hear it over the loud music. And then uh, it just became so overwhelming that I had to leave. And... It's just one of those things with with noise and me I'm specifically. So all of those things I was answering yes. Even on a couple, I actually didn't even answer yes because I'm like, I've gone too far with this already. <laughs> That's why I said it was conservative. And, you know, when it comes to, I forget what the other uh, questions were, but pretty much on all of those types of things, because everyone thinks as you being sensitive as being like, 
sensitive to people's words or things along that, like, oh, I'm, you know, but this is a different type of sensitivity. And this is more of like what you hear, um, all of your five senses. It's not just, you know, someone called me this and I didn't like it. I, you know, I'm sensitive. Right. It was way more than that. And that's what I think people might have a misconception about what uh, a sensitive person is. It's, it's really uh, all encompassing of your wholeness, including your body. If I'm getting that correctly. Yes. And what you just described is such a good example of all the different ways that this can show up in your life. Um, Gosh, there's so many things you said I want to comment on. Well, like I can't even go into a cheese store. The smell. Because the smell. Mm -hmm. Like I have to leave. Like I will start dry heaving. Mm -hmm. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) For anyone eating cheese currently. Um, So a couple things. First of all, the way that you said sometimes caffeine impacts me, sometimes sound impacts me, sometimes it doesn't. This is something to be very mindful of for those listening and want to learn more about this trait because it's not an all or nothing. So if you are well-rested, well-resourced, you've been able to decompress, you're not jet-lagged, you're not coming off of being sick, your nervous system is going to have a set point where it's starting at a much more relaxed state. So some of your sensitivities may not trigger you on a certain day versus another day. And I will just say, as far as caffeine goes, caffeine, gosh, love it. But the thing about coffee, um, you might've heard this before, is the way that it spikes in your body is very quick. Whereas something like tea, maybe it's going to have half that caffeine, but it is a curve. It's a nice, slow, smooth curve. So I know as an HSP myself, I've learned that caffeine from coffee is too quick for my system. It will create that anxious state. Whereas tea is like this nice gradual, ah, okay, I'm getting the caffeine, but it's not overwhelming my system. Yeah, like I'm a Coca-Cola drinker. Coca-Cola has nowhere near the caffeine that a coffee does in any sort of way. To me, Coca-Cola is more about sugar than caffeine. Uh, Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned sugar because HSPs are more sensitive to uh, sugar spikes and blood sugar issues. We tended... Hi, hi. my name is Brandon, and I have this issue too. <laughs> so doing things that pump you with sugar might also impact your anxiety and may also impact your sensitivity. And so being gentle with your trait and understanding your trait before you go into certain situations can make those situations and relationships, which we'll get into, much more enjoyable. So if you know I'm jet lagged, I'm tired, you know, maybe being around a lot of people in a coffee shop, as you learned today, was not um, the most empathic choice for yourself. It it was until it wasn't. Right. <laughs> it was nice. It was nice seeing the coffee shop folks that I hadn't seen in a while. Hugs were given, and then after that, when I was trying to do work, it went all downhill from there. And, you know, I will put this out there about sound. Um, You know, sometimes I'm also a high sensation seeker. So if you go onto that same website, you can look. There are different subsets of a neurodiversity. So just to remind everyone, this is a neurodiversity. So the greatest thing was someone who sat next to me and was doing work next to me for a little bit of time. uh, I told her uh, what today's episode was going to be about. And she is autistic. 
So we started mm-hmm. talking about this, which I guess this can roll into my next question is um, the differences between HSP, autism, HSP, ADHD, um, H- HSP and Asperger's, things along those lines. Where does one say that, okay, I have this or because she was talking to me about like how uh, someone can confuse uh, different things in that like they might not be autistic. They might have HSP or someone who is HSP might actually might have one of these other things. So where do you draw the line here? So this is, as you were saying, it's kind of like this trifecta. So I, I often will categorize autism, ADHD, and HSPs within that trifecta and because of the neurodiversity. Here's some simple ways to specify between them. A lot of it has to do with, and by no means, I will put this out there, I am not claiming I'm an expert in autism, okay? So I know just enough to know the differences. But if there's someone listening who knows more about autism, understand I'm giving you my version of this. Um, So a highly sensitive person is going to have some of the traits that maybe a neurodiversity of autism will present with, such as sensitivity to sound and um, different stimuli. That's a very common uh, comorbidity between the two where, where both are similar. Likewise, someone with ADHD may have a similarity to highly sensitive people where people with ADHD tend to be very highly uh, conscientious, meaning that, and I don't mean that they're always paying attention. I mean that they have a rich inner life. They, they can have a, a racing thought. They can have lots of floods of ideas with ADHD. And that can be similar with a highly sensitive person where we have a life choice, for instance, and we're going to scrutinize everything. So there's that racing thought kind of mentality that can happen with ADHD versus HSP. I will say autism, Asperger's, the new diagnostic manual does not separate the two. Asperger's is technically, at least in the American DSM-5, is no longer its own separate diagnosis. Um, Instead, it's a spectrum. It's whether you present with you know, more severe functioning issues with autism versus maybe some higher order skills where you may present per normative, but have some issues with, you know, other high functioning things with Asperger's. I think one of the big things to remember is the brain differs in some of this as well. There's so much research that still needs to be done on this, but with ADHD, it tends to be a dopamine deficiency disorder where there is an issue with dopamine delivery from one part of the brain to the other, so those connections aren't happening. Whereas with highly sensitives, the inner portion of the brain, uh, specifically where the amygdala is and the central nervous system that lets us know if we're safe or not, is much, much more reactive with a highly sensitive person. And then with autism, there's going to be some areas of the brain that are not firing when they would for other normative people. So someone with autism can have, can still have empathy, right? They still can feel for others, but they might not completely connect um, with the feeling behind the empathy. They can display it, but the, the deep connection might not be there. But again, autism is such a wide variety. Each person presents totally different. 
So comorbidity is big and and misdiagnosis is big with highly sensitives. You know, a lot of highly sensitive people to kind of pull your question and bring it into this area. A lot of highly sensitives can be misdiagnosed with anxiety disorder or ADHD or uh, different obsessive compulsive issues. So there sometimes needs to be, when I do a diagnostic on someone, I check to see what the diagnostics might be that would potentially meet criteria for, you know, some kind of mental health disorder. But then I also will have them do the HSP scale and explain to them that these can be separate phenomenons at the same time. Um, And I'm just going to put this out there. Uh, There was a recent uh, post by the holistic psychologist on Instagram that I loved. And it was talking about how you know, some of these mental health disorders aren't even necessarily the whole picture for someone. We can't really categorize people into these perfect boxes and say, this is your whole issue. A lot of times the mental health disorder is actually a manifestation of trauma, but an HSP trait is not a result of trauma. An HSP trait is a trait that one is born with. I can already tell with my little kiddos, my daughter is an HSP, my son is not, and they are six and two. So I remember I mentioned I'm a high sensation seeker. HSS, HSPs, which is what I am, we present as extroverts. However, for instance, I had to um, kind of carve out my exercise today because that's very important to my nervous system. So while I seek out these highly stimulating experiences like being on your fantastic podcast, I also really need to desperately do things to regulate my nervous system to stay calm. But that doesn't translate into shyness. Now, HSPs who are just HSPs and not high sensation seekers, which make about 70% of HSPs, may appear more shy. But it's because of the fact that their nervous system doesn't need quite as much stimulation from their environment. So the reason I knew the difference between them was because my son was easier to soothe. That's how I knew he wasn't as, he wasn't as sensitive to his environment. Whereas my daughter was kind of a nightmare to soothe as a, as a baby. So, (laughs) so I'm sure a lot of people are listening right now saying, when are you going to get to the stuff about abuse? So my uh, next question for you is what traits make someone who is an HSP more susceptible to abusers, emotional vampires, et cetera, and when we talk about emotional vampires, it's someone who just doesn't give and just takes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So a lot of the traits that we've discussed so far, and I think that's why it's good to have a foundation where you understand the trait, make for perfect narcissistic supply. So first of all, HSPs being so empathetic, can easily understand why someone struggles with what they struggle with. They, they can see why the person might be a little bit more needy or a little bit more demanding. And we just, we tend to see what's going on. So unfortunately that can make us better at forgiving, hopefully better at not holding grudges. And I say, unfortunately, when it's at the hands of an abuser, When it's not at the hands of an abuser, this is a wonderful trait that HSPs have that make us wonderful partners and really 
allow us to have deep, meaningful, long-term relationships. But again, if you are someone who is looking for a constant supply of dedication, an HSP will be much more likely to deeply dedicate emotionally to someone. So if you think of it this way, if an HSP enters a relationship with a narcissist specifically or another emotional abuser, and they are love bombed. So, you know, they get that surge of hormonal release, just hooking them to the person. And then suddenly at some point, this person starts to act up or um, become more emotionally charged or neglectful or distant. The HSP already has established such a deep connection with this abuser that they, their level of empathy and compassion and understanding is so much more plentiful. And that is so attractive to an emotional vampire. And as far as the sensation that goes in the body mm-hmm. with these things over logical thinking, because you can be logical thinking all day, but sometimes mm-hmm. the body here is is taking, sometimes the mind takes over and then sometimes the body takes over. But when we're talking about sensitivity, that initial feeling or butterflies. So with a highly sensitive person, or this body feeling of when they're being hoovered back or things along those lines, more sensitive to others for them to be drawn back in even after something terrible had happened? I would say if the healthy boundaries were not established early on, absolutely. If you look at even just the hormonal release when we first get hooked with someone, this was such a wild thing that I read once and it just kind of clicked. So when we first are courting or being love bombed, we all know that dopamine and endorphins surge when we first fall in lust and then eventually early love. But what I didn't know that I read that was very interesting is that our serotonin actually drops when we first get together with someone. And do you know what happens when our serotonin drops? We become obsessive in thinking. So OCD thought patterns or obsessive compulsive thought patterns are actually connected to a serotonin drop. So if your serotonin has dropped when you initially get with someone, imagine how obsessed you're going to be with them. So this brings into an interesting thing. Are highly sensitive people, do they have uh, addiction issues more than the regular people? I would say there's a couple reasons why HSPs may, may have more addiction issues. First being, as we mentioned earlier, the sensitivity to substances. So not only does that impact how effective a substance can be, but it can also impact the withdrawals. So if the withdrawals are so much more impactful and negative, it would lead one to believe that you're going to need more of the substance in order to try to keep from feeling that horrific withdrawal. Also, if you look at something like sugar and blood sugar issues, I once heard that alcoholism can be equated to a pre-diabetic state because a big part of hangovers and feeling um, anxious or depressed after drinking has to do with unstable blood sugar. So if you're constantly getting into this loop with substances, even food, think of food, there are so many addictive foods. So someone who is an HSP may be a little bit more sensitive to those feelings of hunger. 
So if we link that then to relationships, you can see where while the same emotional, um, the experiences are leading to the same hormonal experiences when you're getting hooked to someone. But, you know, likewise, this is a really interesting thing that's hopeful for an HSP. While HSPs can be more negatively impacted by adverse experiences, whether it be adverse childhood experiences, whether it be addiction, whether it be poor diet, poor sleep, we HSPs actually also benefit more dramatically from positive interventions. So we receive more benefit out of anything you can imagine, whether it be therapy, yoga, meditation, healthy eating. For instance, if I, as an HSP, eat really well, I can really tell very dramatically a difference in my mood. Whereas I think the only reason my husband eats well is because I make him. He's not an HSP. He can't really feel that really gradual difference between eating poorly or eating well. So that translates then into when I'm not around this person or when this person is angry with me, it just makes me feel so much worse. So before we get to talking a little bit about food here for one second, I just want to point out, you know, I see everything through an addiction lens when it comes to uh, abusive relationships or narcissistic abuse relationships as far as how someone can get hooked on their partner and then they they give it and then they take it away they can give the the partner their drugs and they take it away so it's really interesting here to see the connection to uh addiction in in highly sensitive uh people here and i think it's something that um everyone should always kind of in my opinion look at the relationships in terms of um when the love bombing has done its job or the trust building that that addiction is built and you've become an addict and now really discussing highly sensitive people and what they can be more susceptible to and uh, just wondering like in general, like the amount of people that could be highly sensitive people within the abuse community. And it starts to make a little bit more sense. And then there's, you know, as you're talking before, there's the, the things with food and uh, mood and, and how you're feeling in addiction. And for people that do not eat well, mm-hmm. which I was once one of them, and w- a long time ago I did an experiment because all I knew was not eating well. I didn't know what it meant to eat well or how you felt uh, if you were eating well and then you stopped. So after eating well for a very long period of time, I remember I went to, I went to Subway because I like their cookies mm-hmm. and I had one of their cookies and sorry, Subway, but <laughs> I felt we are not endorsing you today, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I love Subway, but in this instance, I had a cookie and it was the first time where I actually felt what it was like to not feel well because when you're eating poorly all the time all you know is feeling bad you don't know what it's like to feel good so when you go from that to eating good all the time and then you test it and then you're like oh and then you get that feeling in your body and then you don't want that feeling to come back again so you 
be like, okay, I'm going to continue to eat healthy. So there's only two options. You either eat healthy and then you eat terribly and you go backwards or you eat terribly the whole entire time. So you don't know what it's like to feel good because <laughs> it's no difference for you. I mean, honestly, you can translate that into relationships too. You know, if you're constantly being surrounded by negative people or emotional vampires, when someone is abusive towards you, that that red flag is not going to be signaled, that your nervous system has become so accustomed to feeling anxious around people or feeling less than around people. So if you do kind of like, a, I remember one year for an, a, a New Year's resolution, I did a relationship shakedown where I kind of almost like a, a hiker would shake down their pack. I was like, okay, which relationships are not serving me well? When you shake down the relationships or you get rid of the Subway cookies, you do, you feel such a difference when someone doesn't treat you well and doesn't help you feel calm within your nervous system. So earlier you mentioned boundaries. So how do you protect uh, your traits and find healthy relationships and how do you set boundaries? Well, just like any other personal um, trait or experience, I do think it's helpful to share your trait with someone that you want to be in a relationship with. And I even recommend this with your friends too. I mean, any relationships, just kind of letting people know, hey, I'm what's called an HSP. This is what it means. See how the person responds. If they care about your trait, if they're interested, if they want to accommodate that trait, that's a really good sign that they're going to allow you to set those boundaries. And really that's, I think with boundary setting, that's the most crucial thing. The earlier, the better. You know, you don't need to wait until the boundary has been crossed to set it. You have every right to have them straight out of the gate. I would say one of the big boundaries with HSPs is covet your time. So that means being really attentive to your body and whether you want to enthusiastically say yes to something or whether there's a tightness in your chest that's convincing you you need to say yes. I think those are a very big difference. Do I feel like I have taken the time I need? I I once read that research has shown that HSPs benefit from, on average, two hours of alone time a day and one day a week. That sounds great to me. (laughs) I was just in Las Vegas for three and a half weeks, and for about... Two and a half of those weeks, I was all by myself in the suburbs near the mountains. It mm-hmm. was glorious. <laughs> it really was. But you know what's so wild? Remember I said I'm an HSS, and I think you said you might be. I'd be interested to know what your score was. HSSs, so if you're highly sensitive and you're a high sensation seeker, we can actually become depressed if we're not engaged enough. It's like living on a breaks gas, breaks gas type of thing. So you can actually see, you know, I'm just kind of theorizing as I'm talking how a highly sensitive person who is also a high sensation seeker might become a little bit more intrigued by a narcissist because they're so, um, it can be kind of exciting at times. I'm not trying to make this a positive thing, but I'm thinking about more about how your nervous system would respond to someone who's a little bit unpredictable. Well, I would assume that someone who's on the HSS scale probably grew up in chaos so it's something that they're familiar with but that's my guess 
Actually, not really. Oh, really? Um, no. Everyone, so, I'm wrong on everything today. I Well, and this is, I know I'm so glad you said this, though, because the thing of it is, is that this is not necessarily a nature nurture situation. This is a trait. This is like, um, I don't want to say it's so bold as whether you're tall or short, but you can kind of envision that. I, I, I have to say personally, I did not grow up in chaos and I, I am a high sensation seeker. Now you can, your trait can morph a little bit based on your environment. If you have to establish coping mechanisms, you know, and that can start to, there might be a, an HSP who grew up in New York city who maybe has learned how to deal with crowds and they've acclimated to it. So their trait may not present in that area, if that makes sense. If they grew up in chaos, they might actually be more accustomed to it. So, and actually, I'm glad you mentioned the thing about childhood because there can be a genetic predisposition bringing us back to ADHD. There can be a genetic predisposition to ADHD and your environment can have a very dramatic impact on whether ADHD presents itself. That is a good way to decipher that is a mental health disorder related to um, medical phenomenon or hormonal phenomenon in your brain. Whereas HSPs are going to be an HSP whether or not your environment created that kind of dynamic. I will say that people who are highly sensitive, who grow up in an environment that does not encourage their high sensitivity, those folks might not harness their highly sensitive trait in a way that empowers them, and they may be more susceptible to emotional vampires. So to be clear about that, if you're an HSP and you grew up in a home that criticized you for being sensitive, can you see how that would potentially set you up to be gaslit by a potential narcissist or abuser who is telling you you're being too sensitive. So when we talk about what these, um, what makes a highly sensitive person a great partner and why an abusive person would really fall for them, what would be these things about them that make them a great partner? So highly sensitive people, while the environment might be deeply impactful, so can love, you know, that the the dedication, the ability to love, the ability to fall in love, uh, to feel that deep passion and connection to someone else is so wonderful with an HSP. I mean, if you're not an HSP and you're lucky enough to be with one and you're listening to this, take good care of their trait. Um, you know, take, take care to give them the time that they need to decompress so that they can be so present because when a highly sensitive person is able to be present, they are fully present. You know, when they can listen and provide you with the understanding and the empathy that they're capable of, it's beautiful. It's just a matter of have those boundaries been set aside where that highly sensitive person has the language and the comfort to declare what they need and what boundaries that they do have. Perfect example, it was, I think it was last week, you know, I'm sitting down to dinner with my husband and my kiddos and he says, did you hear about such and such? It was one of the recent shootings that had happened, not, not the 
you know, the, the big one that has catapulted some of the news lately. But, um, and I said to him, I said, you know, I just, you know, I don't want to talk about this right now. I'm, I'm setting a boundary with this for eating dinner. Here I am. I'm getting a little curious. So then I say, okay, okay, tell me what happened. You, you can't bring half of it up and not tell me. So he tells me. And then I say, okay, well, we can talk about this, but let's like keep it really, really calm. Well, he wasn't able to. He was kind of getting a little bit riled up and he's getting passionate and emotional. And then I had to stop and be like, listen, you did not listen to my boundary. This is starting to get me activated now. I'm starting to feel stressed and I just want to be calm and be able to talk about this rationally. Like I had to be so clear and I had to say the words, you did not respect my boundary. Now, because I am with someone who respects my trait and who is not a narcissist and who is not an emotional vampire, at least a couple of moments later, he was able to apologize. And he said, yeah, I'm just not going to bring up the news. And I said, please don't. <laughs> you know, as a therapist, I receive a lot of the news through my clients. That's, that's where I receive a lot of it. And I want to be able to have the emotional breath that I need in order to be there for them. So you know, in one way, being with an HSP is kind of tricky. You know, we're going to have boundaries that we need to have respected, but boy, can we be so very present and so loving and so passionate and committed and forgiving when we're given a safe space to do so. So before we end off our show, is there something we haven't mentioned about the highly sensitive person and abuse that you want to discuss? I think one of the things that I definitely want to touch on has to do with how do you, how, how are you going to get the most out of this? So, you know, you've listened to this episode, you understand you may be an HSP, you understand I've mentioned briefly that it can be a gift. I don't know if we spoke too much about it, about the gifts that it can impart upon your life, but as a highly sensitive person, you have this opportunity to have fruitful, healthy relationships. If you understand first, like I mentioned, your time is so valuable and your need to decompress and let go of things is okay. You don't have to forgive yourself or apologize to anyone for being sensitive. There's no such thing as too sensitive. Instead, replace it with too stimulated. Okay. So being sensitive and emotional are fabulous, fantastic traits. Coming up with your own mantra of what you will say or your own script of what you will say when you are too stimulated will set up a really healthy dynamic in your relationships. So you don't have to get to the point where you're so stimulated, you need an emotional abuser or narcissist to help ground you and tell you what your reality is. You decide what your reality is. And I would definitely encourage listeners to check out hsperson.com. I assume you'll probably put it in the link so they can take the test. Uh, all of Dr. Aaron's stuff is fabulous. Um, I love the uh, documentary, Sensitive, the Untold Story, or Sensitive in Love. Those are great resources. And I don't know, feel free to reach out and ask me any questions you have. I could talk about HSPs for hours. <laughs> and uh, tell everyone once again where they can reach you and... Uh, if you have any uh, other services like courses or workshops that are going on. Sure. So again, my website, ameliakelly.com is a good place to get started, but you can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Amelia Kelly. 
on there, I offer Q&A. You can ask me anything, anytime that you want anything answered. Um, I'm also working on my second book right now, uh, The HSP Guide to Burnout. And we'll be exploring not just burnout as we would imagine, you know, work and life balance, but emotional burnout, relationship burnout. Uh, so really empowering uh, those folks who identify as highly sensitive. And I also offer an HSP happy hour on Insight Timer, where you can join me from anywhere in the world to talk about the trait, learn something new, and then engage in meditation with other highly sensitive folks. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Dr. Amelia Kelly. Once again, you imparted a lot of knowledge on us today. I learned a lot about myself. Uh, <laughs> since this no more week. coffee when you've been sick or jet lagged. <laughs> or Subway cookies. <laughs> but they're so good sometimes. It's like it's literally crack those cookies to me. They are. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they are drugs. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it, they put in them, but it's uh, whatever chemical it is, it's, it should be illegal. So uh, a really big thank you for uh, being here with me today and with everyone. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. Please read all of our instructions and then either fill out our guest form and press the submit button or send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Also, if you need some support at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have our very own safe social network. So if you press the button at the top of the page, it says support group. It takes you to that network. And there we have episodes that never made it to air. We have uh, ad-free episodes. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We also have forum boards. So you can privately talk and don't have to worry about people lurking in from Facebook somehow because you know Facebook isn't the safest place to do things. So you can join us on our network. And if you just want to support our show, please do join our support group as well. It helps the show a lot by supporting our show. And uh, what else? If you want even more support, please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. It's a wonderful organization. They have articles, free articles and resources there for you to help you. Um, they have addresses and, and uh, phone numbers and everything about shelters all across the United States and Canada. So please do go to domesticshelters.org. It's an amazing free resource. And that is it for today. So for myself and Dr. Amelia Kelly, we hope you have a good night.